Hello, welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights, Chapter 46, Sir Agravain Lights the Fuse. One can't help but wonder about the judicial system in the times of King Arthur. Queen Guinevere had been accused of murdering Sir Patrice by the poisoned apple method. She was about to stand trial for her alleged crime, but this was not to be a nice trial by jury with a presumption of innocence. Oh no, this was something far different. There were two major flaws in the process. 1. There was to be no weighing up of the evidence. The Queen had to rely on her champion defeating the accuser, Sir Mador, who was Patrice's brother. And 2. There was no concept of the Queen being innocent until proven guilty. In fact, quite the opposite. Sir Patrice had already been buried and his tombstone did not suggest there was anything fair about the trial. This is what it said. Here lies Sir Patrice, the brother of Sir Mador de la Porte, whom the Queen killed with poison. Innocent until proven guilty? I don't think so. The King had given the Queen forty days' grace to find a champion. Sir Mador had ridden away, promising to be back on that date. Nobody had yet stepped forward to fight for the honour of the Queen. It was not looking good for Guinevere. Lancelot was away, keeping clear of King Arthur's court, because the Queen had accused him of loving the Maid of Astolat. Her only hope was Sir Bors of Gorns, Lancelot's cousin. The king had commanded her to ask Bors to be her defender. Against all of her instincts, and with great trepidation, she did just that. Sir Bors, will you fight for me against Sir Mador? Are you joking, he replied. I was at that dinner, and I saw what happened. The whole fellowship believes you're guilty. And worse than that, you've treated my cousin abominably. Lancelot would do anything for you, and you behave like a petulant child. You have driven him away, and now you expect me to take his place as your champion. I don't know how you have the gall to ask anything of me, let alone this. The Queen knelt before Bors and bowed her head. You are right, noble sir. I put myself entirely in your hands. I will amend any wrongs exactly as you advise. What you tell me to do, I will do. Sir Bors pulled the Queen to her feet telling her not to do him such dishonour. As he did so, King Arthur turned up. He looked at his brave and honourable knight straight in the eye and told him his king was requiring him to do the deed. Bors returned his lord's gaze. You ask too much, sire. Every knight of the round table will despise me. It goes against every instinct that I have. But you are my king and I have served you loyally all these years. I will be the queen's champion against Sir Mador unless a better candidate presents himself. Sir Bors of Gorns turned on his heels and left the room without a backward glance. He couldn't bring himself to look at the disgraced Queen. He marched through the courtyard, collected his horse and arms and rode away from Camelot. There was only one person he wanted to see. Lancelot was cheered by the news that his cousin brought him. He told Bors to prepare for the battle with Mador, but that on the day he should not begin to fight. Lancelot would be there. He would turn up and fight the accusing knight for the sake of his beloved queen. Bors listened to Lancelot's words with a mixture of respect, pity and trepidation. He fervently hoped this would be the end of the trouble which seemed to be constant since the Grail quest had ended. He prayed that Lancelot would win. More though, he prayed that Lancelot would see how close they had come to shattering the fellowship of the round table and that after the battle he would stay away from the queen. Bors returned to Camelot and received exactly the kind of welcome he was expecting. Most of the knights were extremely angry that he was to defend the murderers in their midst. 
they accused him of defending a destroyer of good knights. Gawain, always one to have a more balanced view, tried to quell the mutterings, but he didn't succeed. It was hard for him, because chief among the mutterers was his brother, Agravain. Bors stood before his fellow knights and told them he was doing it for their lord, King Arthur. It was not right to see the Queen shamed. Through gritted teeth, the noble knight told his fellows the Queen had always been a maintainer of good knights, not a destroyer. It will be a shame for us if our master, the King's wife, was to be shamefully slain. I declare she is not guilty of the crime. She bore Sir Patrice no ill will. She had no reason to poison him. Killing her for the crime would be treason. Bor's words had their desired effect on most of the knights. Clearly they had some understanding of the concept of motive. It's a shame their legal system hadn't caught up. Some of the knights, though, were not convinced. Mordred, always looking out for himself and the opportunities any situation presented, smirked and said nothing. Clearly he was planning to ensure that Bor's defence of the Queen would not be the end of the matter. Agravain listened, his blood slowly boiling. When Bors had finished, the knight from Orkney threw his sword on the ground and stormed out of the hall. The words of the successful Grail Quester were the talk of Camelot for a couple of days. Before too long, though, there was something even more shocking to get the tongues wagging. The king and his knights were dining. An uncomfortable calm had settled over Camelot as the knights kept their own counsel. It was by no means a happy party that ate together, but at least the knights were not at each other's throats. The hall they were dining in overlooked the river. It was a bright and pleasant evening, and the king, lost in his own thoughts, stared out at the glistening wide expanse of water. After a few seconds, he thought he saw something. After another few seconds, he knew he saw something. A rich and beautiful boat was approaching them. King Arthur nudged his favourite nephew. Going, look there, that's the most splendid boat I have ever seen. You're not wrong, answered Going. Let's go and see what's inside. Bidding the rest of the knights to carry on feasting, Arthur and Gawain left the hall and walked the short distance to the river bank. The boat seemed to know where they were coming, as it slowly came to rest a few metres from where they were standing. The boat was very richly adorned, but also a little odd. It was covered like a vault. So Gawain lifted up a corner of the cloth and peered inside, unsure of what to expect. He almost certainly didn't expect to see a beautiful bed covered in jewels and fine cloth, on which lay a girl, not long dead. She was very, very beautiful. In fact, she was so beautiful that Gawain looked more closely. Then he realised that he knew who she was. My lord, that's the girl from Astolat, the one who Lancelot loves. Gawain spotted a rich purse hanging from the girl's belt. He opened it and took out a letter, which he handed to King Arthur. The king read it aloud. To all knights of the round table, Greetings from the girl from Astolat. I address my note to all of you, as you are the best and most joyous men alive. I have met my end through loving faithfully. I died for the noblest and wickedest man in the world, Lancelot of the Lake. I begged for his love. I wept and pleaded, but he would not have mercy upon me. Oh, seems I was wrong, said Gawain thoughtfully. It seems that my dearest friend has not found love after all. I wonder what it was that prevented him from loving this lovely girl. I met her at her father's place. She was lively and enchanting. Arthur's heart skipped a beat. That feeling of uneasiness returned. The king forced the thoughts to leave his mind and put on his most business-like look. Right, what shall we do with the body? 
She will need to be buried, but Lancelot should attend to it, replied Gawain. But tomorrow Sir Bors fights with Sir Mador for the honour of the Queen. Let's attend to that first. We can see to this lady's fate after Sir Bors has won. She must be laid to rest in the cathedral at Camelot. He gave his uncle an encouraging smile, and they turned to leave. Now, the Camelot grapevine was as healthy as any other. Arthur and Gawain returned and began telling the story of the Maid of Astolat to Sir Kay and Sir Gareth. Approximately 25 seconds later, this tale was known to everyone at court, including Queen Guinevere. The Queen sent for Gawain. You told me that Lancelot loved this girl, she moaned. Now we find out that it wasn't true. Yes, my lady, it seems that I was wrong. The Queen turned away, leaving Gawain a little bemused. When she got back to her chamber, she collapsed with grief. What have you done? she asked herself. You miserable creature! How could you believe that Lancelot would love anyone else? Why have you deceived and betrayed yourself? You have failed him, and you failed everyone here. That's why they are all abandoning you, and it is only by your lord's plea that anyone will fight for you tomorrow. Your only hope is that Lancelot returns and rescues you again, but how can this happen? How can he know the distress you feel? Tomorrow you will die shamefully, and probably he will die too from grief. Guinevere was certainly self-centred and selfish, but she was probably right. That night she went to bed expecting the worst. Dawn arrived, bright and cold. As soon as it was light, Guinevere sent for Sir Bors. He arrived a few minutes later. The Queen asked him in a trembling voice if he would still be fighting for her later that day. Bors was no more kindly disposed towards her than he had been before, but he knew his duty and he wasn't callous enough to want her to suffer any more. Yes, my lady, I will fight for you, unless a better knight than I wants to take my place. Guinevere was too caught up in her own feelings to read between the lines. She nodded and let Sir Bors go. Preparations were made and the stage was set for the trial. No courtroom, no men in wigs, no lawyers. The Queen was brought in by the constable. Not far away, a huge bonfire had been constructed around an iron stake. This was to be Guinevere's fate if her champion failed to save her. The Queen of Britain was to be burnt at the stake, as was the custom. Her fate was to be decided by a couple of lances wielded by brave but fallible men. The two combatants arrived and took their sacred oaths. Sir Mador went first. I declare this lady committed treason by murdering my brother, Sir Patrese. I will prove it with my body and with my hands. Sir Bors stepped forward. I declare that Queen Guinevere is in the right and she is not guilty of treason. I will make good this insult with my body and my hands. He then turned to Sir Mador. Sir, I know you are a good knight, but I will not fear you. I pray to God that I can withstand your blows. I have promised my lord, King Arthur, and my lady, the Queen, that I will do battle for her, unless a better knight than I discharges me of this responsibility. It may have seemed to the careful observer that Sir Bors was playing for time. A few more words were exchanged, but Bors was only half concentrating. He kept glancing over the field in the opposite direction to the city. Soon he could delay no longer, and both knights returned to their tents. Soon they were ready, and they trotted away from each other to their stations. Then they turned, ready to raise their lances and charge. Just as Bors lifted his spear and prepared to spur his mount, the sound of hooves drifted over the field. Bors looked up towards the sound, as did virtually everyone else. A knight on a pure white horse, carrying an unknown shield, approached Bors. Sir, 
I am a better knight than you. I pray that you withdraw and allow me to have this battle. Bors nodded and rode over to King Arthur. Sir, a better knight than I wants to battle for the Queen. Who is he? asked the King quite reasonably. Sir, I cannot tell you, but he and I made an agreement that he would be here this day. Hereby I am discharged and he will fight. Without waiting for a reply, Sir Bors rode back to his tent. The white knight took his place in the field and raised his lance. Sir Mador, somewhat bemused but secretly pleased he wasn't taking on the mighty Bors, raised his. At last the battle for the Queen was on. The two combatants hurtled towards each other and soon connected with an almighty crash. Mador's lance splintered on impact, but the white knight's lance held. Mador was thrown from his horse but landed uninjured. He drew his sword. The white knight leapt from his horse and did the same. Mador was a fine knight and he fought skilfully. For more than an hour the two smashed their blades into each other's armour. After this time though he began to tire and the white knight's blows found their targets more and more. Mador managed one last rally and he hurt the white knight sorely in the thigh, blood oozing through the dark gaps in the silvery chain mail. This just served to increase the ferocity of the white knight's attacks and a few minutes later Sir Mador was on the ground swordless. The white knight ripped off the prone warrior's helm and made to cut off his head. Mador pleaded for his life. I will not grant you life, replied his opponent, unless you freely release the queen for ever. No mention will be made of her guilt and the tomb of Sir Patrese will not claim that she committed treason. All this will be done, said Mador. I discharge the queen for ever. This quarrel is at an end. The white knight strode over to King Arthur and took off his helm. King Arthur took his wife's hand and stood before the victor. Thank you, Sir Lancelot of the Lake. This is a great deed you have done this day for me and the Queen. Sire, you gave me my life as a knight and I am your servant. I will always serve you and your Queen. Guinevere said nothing but simply wept. The trial party began to make their way back to Camelot. Gawain put his arm around Lancelot and led him away. Together they slowly strolled to the city. By the time they got there, they had put the world to rights as best friends should. Gawain broke the news as gently as he could of the death of the Maid of Astolat. The Feast of Celebration was prepared. Before it began, though, King Arthur took Sir Lancelot to one side and showed him the letter that he and his nephew had found near the body of the lady. Lancelot, forewarned but still ashamed, took the note and read it carefully a couple of times. Sir, I'm sorry for the death of this lady. I didn't cause her distress willingly and would have done anything in my power to prevent it, but there was nothing I could have done. Sir Lavaine, her brother, has travelled here with me and he can tell you this is true. She wanted my love and to be my wife, but love must come from the heart and love was not in my heart. But I can see she must have loved me even more than I knew and she is now my responsibility. Before the celebration feast, the Maid of Astolat was buried in the cathedral. Sir Lancelot of the Lake was the chief mourner. Once the service was over, he went to see the Queen. She was unusually contrite. Sir, I've done you a great wrong. I mistrusted you when I was told you had worn the sleeve of another woman, and even more so when I was told that you loved her. I should have realised it couldn't be true, and you are my knight and mine alone. Please forgive me for my faithlessness. This isn't the first time you've doubted me, is it? answered Lancelot. But I cannot be angry with you for very long. They embraced and their fate was sealed. If they'd loved each other before then, it was nothing to the love they felt after. 
Lancelot, wrenching himself away for the moment, left the room to join the feast. One of the guests of the feast was Nimui, Lady of the Lake. She had recently been married to Sir Peleus, a knight of the Round Table. She wove her magic and learned the truth about the poisoning of Sir Patrice. As the real story began to come out, one of the knights went white. Sir Pinnell, the real murderer, made his excuses before he was named. He grabbed as much as he could carry and mounted his horse. In no time he was away. He fled to his home country. Sir Patrice's tombstone was altered. From that day on, it read, Here lies Sir Patrice, the brother of Sir Maidor Laporte, slain by Sir Pinnell of Ireland, who poisoned apples in order to slay Sir Gawain. But the poison at the heart of court remained. Some of the knights thought that Guinevere had got off lightly. OK, maybe she hadn't been guilty of poisoning Sir Patrice, but she was certainly guilty of treason because of her affair with Lancelot. And she wasn't being careful. Maybe she felt she was untouchable now. Maybe she was simply very grateful that Lancelot had saved her. Either way, the two lovers were far from discreet. Even Sir Gawain, greatest friend of the best of the knights, knew the truth. His loyalty to his king was strong, but his friendship with Lancelot was unbreakable. He vowed that the king would not hear about the treason. He must have known deep down it was going to blow up soon, but he was torn between his greatest friend and his honour. His brother was not of the same mind. Over and over again, Sir Agravain tried to persuade Gawain to tell the king. Over and over again, Gawain refused. The rows among the Orkney clan grew fiercer and fiercer. Mordred agreed with Agravain, but kept his thoughts to himself, waiting for the time to strike. Gareth and Geheris backed Sir Gawain, and Agravain very grudgingly kept his mouth shut. Until, that is, the king overheard them arguing. He stepped in between them. Agravain, tell me what you were talking about so loudly. Now, said Gawain, let's say no more about the subject. Sire, Agravain is just being even more unpleasant than usual. I can see you're annoyed, but even if you exiled me from the kingdom, I will not tell you. There is no truth in what he says. It's all lies and fables, said Gareth. No good can come of this, so let's leave it alone. Gareth turned and strode from the rune. Gawain followed him. Geheris thought for a moment and seemed to be about to say something to Agravain, but he just gave him a warning stare and walked after his brothers. Agravain made to leave, but the king barred his way. Now, tell me, he said menacingly, if you won't tell me, either I will kill you or you will have to kill me. He found a sword on a nearby couch and drew it from its scabbard. Agravain grew angrier and angrier. Eventually he snapped. Eventually his righteous indignation overcame his brotherly loyalty. He pushed Camelot and King Arthur beyond the point of no return. The words that came out of his mouth could never be unsaid, and they set in motion a chain of events that would bring disaster to King Arthur and Britain. I was telling my brothers that they were disloyal traitors, he said, because they permit Sir Lancelot of the Lake to bring scandal and dishonour to you. He continues to see your queen behind your back. He is a traitor and a scoundrel, and she is a common tramp. Arthur opened his mouth, but nothing came out. Mordred chose this time to intervene. Sire, we've hidden it from you for as long as we could, but we feel that now is the time for you to know. We hoped they would end it, but they haven't. If we had kept it from you any longer, then we would have been as disloyal as Lancelot himself. Now it is time to avenge your dishonour. Agravain carried on, warming to his theme. 
We'll catch them together and prove the treason. Then you can punish the vile Lancelot. God knows he deserves it. Do it, said King Arthur. I command you to. OK, urged Agravaine. Announce to everyone that you're going hunting tomorrow, but tell Lancelot he is not to accompany you. As soon as you go, he is sure to sneak to the Queen's bedroom. Mordred and I will be waiting for him with twelve knights. We will catch him in the act, and then you can put him on trial for treason. The king agreed. That night he slept badly. He knew that catching Lancelot in his wife's bedroom would not be the end of it. He knew it would split the fellowship in half. Hector de Maris was Lancelot's brother, and he would be loyal to the great knight. Bors and Lionel, his cousins, would fight on his side. Many of the other knights of the round table were kinsmen of Lancelot, and many others were loyal to him. Arthur knew he would lose Sir Bloberis, Sir Blamore, Sir Palamedes, and many others. Still, he was determined to go ahead. The loss of some of his greatest knights would be terrible. Putting up with treason, though, was worse. That evening at dinner, King Arthur announced he was going hunting the following day. Lancelot cheerfully offered to accompany him, but Arthur told him he wasn't required. The king tried not to give anything away, but he was absolutely livid. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't keep the anger out of his voice. After dinner, Lancelot went to see Bors. The king's treating me strangely. I think he's angry with me. He must have heard about you and the queen. I told you to be more careful. If you're caught, it will finish this fellowship. It will cause a war between King Arthur and his loyal knights and us, the family of King Ban. Please, please, if you carry on, you must be more discreet. Agravaine watches you like a hawk. The next morning, the hunting party left. As soon as it had gone, the Queen summoned Sir Lancelot to her bedroom. Lancelot, dismissing the wise words of his cousin, went to her chamber. Undressed and comfortable, the two failed to hear the approach of footsteps. They failed to hear the door being tried. They couldn't, though, fail to hear the sound of the door being kicked in. They looked at each other. Lancelot mouthed a single word. Agravaine. Next week, Agravaine enters the room and the consequences of the affair arrive in their bucket loads. So, until then, have a great couple of weeks and I'll speak to you next time.